Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Music History Project. Today, we are going to be hearing the full interview with the co-founder of the Jazz Education Network and music advocate, Mary Jo Papich. Hello, and welcome to the Music History Project. We're your hosts. I'm Mike Mullins. Dan Del Fiorentino. And Ashley Allison. All of our content comes from the Oral History Program, which is sponsored by NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants. That collection is over 4,500 interviews and constantly growing. If you'd like to learn more about the program or view any interviews that aren't featured, visit namm.org library. Hey, hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Music History Project. We're very excited today to bring you what we call the Let It Ride, and that is a full episode of an interview from the NAM Oral History Program. This one is from the co-founder of Jen, Mary Jo Papich. And what's really exciting about this is I guarantee by the end of this interview, you will have some major, major energy to go out and fight for music advocacy. No doubt about it. She is quite the cheerleader. And you know, what's really exciting is just over the last couple of months since we've been able to connect with her, she's been helping us with other interviews, not only the other co-founders of her organization, but other music advocates. So she's now our cheerleader as well. So we're really excited to bring this uh, story to you today. Yeah, I got to agree with you on that, Dan. The passion is oozing out of this interview for <laughs> sure. And uh, this is actually an interview we were able to capture in the past couple of months. Uh, during this pandemic, we're still hard at work interviewing people. And um, we actually have a tag on the NAM website for virtual interviews. And this is one of them. Um, so we're just very thankful for technology so that we're able to expand the oral history program, even when we're unable to visit the interviewees. Yeah. And also just capturing some fantastic interviews that maybe we wouldn't have gotten a chance to do. Uh, so that's been kind of a little bit of a silver lining of the whole thing, though. I know Dan's dying to get back out there and, <laughs> and be in Itching. person again. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, what's so funny is that this collection Every interview seems to have passion of some level or another, but when you look at somebody who has dedicated her whole career to expressing that passion in order to motivate other people, it, you know, it's really contagious. And I have a feeling that we're all going to be uh, on that bandwagon in, in the next 45 minutes or so. Definitely. Uh, so, and I just also, since this is a video and you get to watch her interview, I think uh, her outfit also just completely <laughs> shows how enthusiastic and how much she just loves music and especially jazz. And I you'll understand what I'm saying in a few minutes when you see her. Um, but getting into this interview, uh, we're going to hear a little bit from her about just, you know, uh, growing up and where that, where that love and that passion kind of came from and how that developed. So here is Mary Jo Papich. One of the things I was hoping to uh, chat with you, Mary Jo, about is your passion for music and how that developed. Did you have music in your home growing up? I had sisters that sang, and I learned to sing along with them. And I had a big brother that played jazz trumpet, and I would hear that growing up. And um, Dan, I grew up as a... Um, uh, my dad died when I was 11 months old, and I was the youngest of seven kids in a little town in Iowa, uh, La Villa, Iowa. And so um, 
we didn't have a lot. And we ran the, ran the town drugstore, which my mother started doing after dad passed away. Uh, but we had um, a lot of fun. And like I said, music was a part, although it wasn't so formal, you know, a part, you know. Very and, neat. Did you play an instrument as a kid? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I was a trumpet player, too, because that's what I was inspired. So I was I was a trumpet player, too. And as I I knew in 10th grade, 10th, I knew when I was 10 years old that I wanted to be a music teacher. When mom moved, I found an essay I wrote that said in, at 10, when I first started playing trumpet and singing and stuff, I want to be a music teacher. I don't want to be anything else. And so I was driven to do just that from the very beginning yeah that's really really neat that's really cool and so was uh, i'm guessing part of your inspiration may have been your own teachers for sure absolutely uh i will always credit leonard e bonker my high school band director um he was really a father figure to me and as well as a band director and uh he uh, retired from Albia, Iowa, and went down to Texas his last, I don't know, 15, 20 years of his career. And um, so shout out to Leonard E. Bonker. He was just the best. And Sword and Music in Ottumwa was there when I bought my, uh, mom bought my uh, con trumpet to get started on, you know, Constellation. And um, for sure, music teachers are vitally important. And, and, uh, and of course, I was in public school education for over 37 years. And uh, um, we, we, we couldn't do it without them, right? Amen. How would you put into words some of the things that you personally learned um, from your band director? Well, in addition to the musical skills and the marching skills, he was old high step Big Ten, um, I learned so very many life skills. And that's, of course, why we encourage kids and parents encourage kids, too, to be in music. I learned responsibility, for sure, dependability. Um, I learned uh, that you need to get along with who you're sitting next to, even if you you don't care for them or if they play better or worse than you. Um, So... uh, tons of things you you learn confidence you actually confidence of course gets instilled because you're performing and you have to rise to the occasion especially the solo ensemble stuff you know and um you learn to be flexible you learn to be resilient you learn you really learn that music feeds the soul that we all have a cultural spirit and that um and you learn that music makes you feel better no matter what the mood you're in, not only yourself, but others around you. And, um, you know, you've learned how to be kinder and um, more appreciative of your, of your fellow human being. Um, you need music for a sound education. I always remember that one. That is, uh, <laughs> I think that's a NAFME one, but uh, um, all kinds of great life skills to be, to be learned. Absolutely. Life skills, actually, Dan, that are so desperately needed in the workplace today. And um, may we always continue to thrive, not just survive, but thrive. Very, very well said. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell me a little bit about how your career developed. 
Did, where did you go to college? Actually, I went to Northeast Missouri State University in Kirksville, Missouri. Have you heard of it? <laughs> and, uh, and it, I went because I lived in Southern Iowa and it was cheap. Um, I And the other thing was my choir director went there. My band director had gone to Drake. So I went to Drake. I applied. I went to summer camp there, applied for a scholarship, and it wasn't big enough to carry cover the tuition. So I got a better one in Kirksville. It is now called Truman State University. Uh, and um, it's that's where I went to college. And they gave me a good solid education. It was probably 12 or 13,000 in size. So not real big and uh, not real small. You know, Dan, before I went to uh, college, I'd never had a private lesson. Unlike so many of the students I work with today, and so many of the students that uh, go off. They, they're prepared with theory. They're prepared with their piano skills. They're prepared uh, from private teachers, usually at universities or good players in the community. And um, that just wasn't part of this small town in Iowa. So that's what got me going. I went there and started teaching to, to pay back student loans. I taught in a very rural district um, in Southern Iowa and I taught everything. I was, I've always loved singing along with playing uh, but my piano skills kind of scared me to go into vocal music. And um, and so I wanted a job that, that I could teach both. And boy, did I have it, K-12, everything. I think everybody needs that experience once in their life, right? And, uh, you know, I did that. And then uh, for three years and got hired in Ottumwa, Iowa, which is like was like the eighth largest system in the state, and taught junior high band. Um, and then I fell in love with a guy who worked for Byerly Music here in Peoria, which is, he talked about going to the NAM show when I didn't even know what NAM was way back then. And it was like 1980, uh, I moved to Peoria. It brought me to Peoria. Then I became a sub in the Peoria Public Schools, then a middle school band director, then a high school band director for 10 years. And then I went on to get my uh, uh, principal certificate. And then I was at administrator for the 35 schools in Peoria Public Schools. And I loved it. I had an all-star jazz band that traveled the world. And then I got this random call from uh, Highland Park High School to go up north and um, be their fine arts director, interview for it. And since I, you know, was single by then, uh, high school band jobs can do that to you, you know. <laughs> and I went ahead and um, moved there and was was a fine and applied arts director there at one school and got a big raise and then went on to Skokie when I retired. I was working with Jen. I wanted to focus on Jen and Niles uh, School District hired me as an interim and I did three years there too. So, um, you know, I started at $8,000 a year in Moulton and ended up much better, let me say. <laughs> By the time. So I've done, and I've done elementary vocal. I've done everything but teach strings. And you know what? It made me a well, more well-rounded administrator, fine arts administrator. Very, very interesting. Any particular highlights as far as your teaching career goes? The highlights that you remember when you get older are interesting. Uh, you know, um, performing with the jazz all-stars, taking them abroad several times to play at Montreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland was wonderful. The North Sea Jazz Festival, um, 
this, you know, for thousands of people at the National School Board Association. And I'll never forget it. I waited till it came to New Orleans and then I applied. And uh, I'll never forget 16,000 school board members and superintendents um, clapping for us and loving our music and giving us a standing ovation, you know, by the end of the first song. And, and those are all memorable, wonderful times. However, just working with kids on a regular basis and getting that aha moment, being by them, knowing that you turned a light bulb on for them, that you lit their fire, that you were the conduit that that connected them to music. Those are probably some of the most favorite music moments of teaching I have. Having and then the at the end of your, you know, I'm not teaching now, although I'm extremely busy. I have to say, um, extremely busy. All those people that I have, uh, so many that I've been in touch with. That every school system I I keep in touch with, and that's such a rich, rewarding experience. So teaching is is definitely definitely music teaching. When you loop kids and have them year after year, you know them pretty darn well, right? So you can just tell immediately how passionate she is about music <laughs> education. And I we told you, we tried to warn you. <laughs> I can only imagine being her student when she was a teacher and just like feeding off of that excitement and that happiness. And I just love the, I love uh, her talking about that aha moment when she's with a student and it finally clicks. Cause I know we've all had that growing up where you, mm-hmm. you know, there's that struggle and then all of a sudden you're like, get it. <laughs> <laughs> and I can only imagine how satisfying that is as a teacher, just to be a part of that and know that you kind of helped guide that along. So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really neat also to hear how she delivers, you know, because as you said, you can kind of tell what ty- type of teacher she was mm-hmm. and um, very endearing, great spirit. Uh, I had a feeling you guys would like this interview, uh, no doubt about it. You know, uh, I said earlier that uh, not only is she an advocate for jazz education, but she has become a good cheerleader for this program, the oral history program at NAM. And so as a result of interviewing her, we have also interviewed Dr. Lou Fisher, who was the co-founder with her of Jen, and then another great advocate who served on their board in the early days, Jim Widener, who uh, is a great jazz musician as well, an educator. And so uh, we were able to capture his story as a result of her suggestion. So it's wonderful when you can glean the uh, energy of somebody who can help you with your own mission. And she has certainly done that for us. Yeah, definitely. So let's get back into this interview. Uh, Mary Jo is going to be talking about the Jazz Education Network and kind of its origin story and where it's gone since it started. So here is Mary Jo Papich. One of the things I would love to glean from you uh, in the next part, we're getting closer to Jen now, um, is I wonder if you could, um, before talking about your own involvement, a little bit of the background and the concept and the sort of the focus and, and um, the goals of Jen. Starting the Jazz Education Network, 2008. Um, my life has changed since then. Um, I was set to be president-elect of the International Association of Jazz Education. Excuse me, it's for jazz education. And um, the first female, I might add, first female president, and the first high school person because they had been collegiate men. Um, 
I'd been on the board quite a few years and um, I'm a professional development junkie. Anything that, that will, you know, the self-help and the, anything that will make me better, I always want to be a part of. But uh, it was November 2007 when I started questioning um, our finances and, and knew something was amiss. And I dug a little deeper. Uh, and then I called all the members of the IJ board to share with them what I'd found um, and to be thinking of how to proceed. Uh, it was in Toronto, uh, 2008, when uh, our executive director resigned, uh, kind of unexpectedly, and uh, which in hindsight was a, was a good move. Um, what to do now, what to do now. As we dug into our, our organization, we saw we were in, 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 in trouble, in serious trouble, uh, that even a filing bankruptcy wouldn't save us. Um, I remember being so very, it was worse than a divorce to me. It was, I remember literally getting on my knees and praying, what should we do? How do we handle this? Um, almost 10,000 members worldwide and in existence for over 30 years, what do we do next? And um, I went ahead and resigned from the board. Uh, we were meeting an executive committee to look at solutions and Lou Fisher and I, Lou was on the board, Dr. Lou and I came up with several plans that were ignored. Um, and we weren't going anywhere. So Lou, I resigned first, then Lou followed later. And we decided to start a new organization. Um, while they were asking for money to donate, I knew it was going to go nowhere. So we did just that. We had to be very careful. We had to not look like IJE or sound like that because the attorneys would come after us. And, um, in reality, IJ didn't have a building. They didn't have, um, you know, they had people. They had memories. They had successful conferences. But to sue, they didn't have much more than that. Um, so we had to be careful not to use the mailing list. So it was um, the weekend of um, May 30th, June 1, uh, 2008. I have to back up and share with you. Oh, yeah. We, we went ahead and I, I wrote like 80, 90 invita email invitations to join us outside of Chicago, an airport, motel, small, best Western, not even nice. And we had 40, about 45 people there. And um, the leaders, the movers, shakers, the people that cared, uh, average directors, and it was at that time, uh, Lou and I went in very prepared. We came in with, with a whole list of various names for the organization that we could brainstorm on. We went in with a, um, some draft bylaws. Uh, we went in with, um, you know, a variety of mission statements. And um, that weekend, we came out with a website, a name, the Jazz Education Network, 
and a mission. Uh, the mission was to, which we go by today, it's rock solid. Uh, the mission of the Jazz Education Network is to uh, build the jazz community by three things, advancing education, promoting performance, and developing new audiences. We also came away with a uh, board and officers, and I was elected president. I didn't run the weekend. We had Bob Breithoff and um, a nonprofit specialist there that weekend. Gene, he came in on his own dime. And, you know, we walked away with a lot. And from that, uh, we started working on what to do. And that's when my life changed. Uh, and I want to share with you that that January, I went to Midwest Clinic and had an open meeting. Uh, then um, 2009, January, I went to my first NAM show. And it was there that they arranged a press conference for me. Um, they met, Joe Lamond has been a, a, a wonderful mentor advisor through uh, all that time uh, and other staff there. Um, on what to do, how to do this, where to go. Um, we want to be more than just a conference-driven organization. We want to be a year-round. Uh, so we built resources. Since then, we have we we continue to go to state organizations again, all on our own dime, right? Um, and since then, we have built the organization uh, to a membership of um, over 4,000 and in 44 countries. That's exciting to think that we have, we are producing the largest uh, conference to the global jazz community that is available anywhere. And we have educational resources. We have committees, volunteer committees. We have for eight years, uh, the president was the CEO. We didn't have any paid staff. And uh, we put the conferences on, we did all of it. And we saved enough money to finally hire uh, the wonderful uh, Sharon Birch as our managing director. And then Lou was off the board as uh, our conference coordinator. And then we have uh, now a membership marketing uh, gentleman, Jesse Nolan, who is just amazing. And another administrative assistant, Kelly Kinnan Carson. So. We are rolling, uh, and uh, we just had our first virtual conference, like Nam did. They believe in music, and um, we were pleased. We, we did it all in house. We, we were very pleased, and we are meeting our our goals. We are meeting our mission statement. Uh, we offer scholarships. We uh, I started a jazz to you program um, in. Uh, well, it's been seven years ago, 2011, and we we give money out to the Herb Alpert Foundation has granted us in the last seven years over $150,000, which uh, we use to uh, pay the musician, and um, it's a benefit of both the recipient and the person who has the clinic or the concert, and we're helping keep... Um, helping keep musicians working right now. And um, I couldn't be more proud uh, how Jen has thrived from day one. 
That was a lot. I know. Oh, no, that's awesome. That's really what I was hoping for. Uh, you know, it's just amazing to me. And I could hear in the background your sister agreeing that you just don't stop. You're like the Energizer bunny. And what's cool yeah. to me, yes, <laughs> what's cool to me is um, the thought process behind these programs and these resources and these tools. You know, it's, um, you know, a lot of your own background and understanding what the needs are, but also the committees that are focused on um, developing something meaningful. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, because I think that what some resources can do is just throw stuff out there without thinking about, you know, what's more important? What are the priorities? What are, where's the real need? And I think that obviously your group takes a lot of time in developing that. And I think it's worth talking about. And where's the real need? Well, um, being an educator that is taught in rural, urban, suburban, I mean, the range. Um, I have to say, uh, my heart is with kids. My heart is with the students and everybody on the board is very good about that. We like to think we're sharing instead of lecturing. Uh, so the needs are with kids. Uh, the former organization, uh, we were lucky if we had one group performing sometimes at, at that organization. This one, we just said right away, Lou and I said, we want oh, an entire stage devoted to student performances, elementary, junior high, high school and college, all day student. And we pledged and we kept this promise to have one student group on each night of the evening concerts. And, um, and in addition to that, we started the Generations Jazz Festival. So brilliant idea uh, from Caleb Chapman and Jose Diaz. I am telling you, it, so we have a, a, an actual jazz festival concurrent with the conference and then they get the badges, they get to go to everything. And on top of that, they're in the program, just like the ones who made it to the, you know, and you just have to apply and it's reasonable and it's, it's a fabulous experience. It's, it's a life-changing experience. Um, our Jazz to You grants, I really, really, uh, you know, the first dibs go to the underserved uh, because we definitely want to help there. And, um, and we not just do schools, we've done hospitals and communities. And we like to think we're a jazz education group like NAM, from literally preschool through senior citizens. And I'm teaching for Ollie at Bradley University. I've taught several jazz classes to senior citizens and I'm just getting such a kick out of it. They love it and I love them. And when I forgot how much I adore teaching, um, and interaction and, you know, seeing those light bulbs go off at whatever age. Um, we see the need with children and uh, getting instruments in their hands, getting uh, them to, to play piano, getting them singing. Um, we have a mentoring program, which we need to work more on it to develop. We have um, awards and scholarships. The very first conference, we didn't have any money. And I said, I want, I want a woman in jazz scholarship. I just want us to honor. We, the young girls out there playing need to have role models and they aren't there on the instruments and especially on the instruments of brass instruments or drum set, or, you know, we're used to seeing them and keyboard and saxophone and, 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 and that's fine, but where are they all over the place? You know? And we, so we 
started the women in jazz and I just started with a thousand dollars a year. And after 10 years, the board said, Hey, we'll handle this. You don't have to give that now. Well, we're going to honor you with it. And so they started that in my name and started one of Lou Fisher's name. And um, we've given, Oh, she's probably over a hundred thousand dollars in scholarships. Now uh, Al Leonard stepped up to the plate of uh, various people. And then uh, we have David Baker. We started Jamie Abersole scholarships. Um, and we need that supported. So any support for that would be great. Um, but we're helping teachers who teach kids. So Mary Jo touched on something that I think is very important and very cool to hear her say. Um, and that was the importance of having live performance at these conferences. And that's something that Nam understands as well, too. Like you can have all of like the education and the learning experiences happening. That's very important. But you need to show like what the end goal is, you know, like, yeah, we're doing all this stuff with music and it's great. But if you don't actually have music, like, what is this all for? So I love that she brought that up. It just really paints a great picture of what this organization is becoming. Um, and it's really exciting. Um, and Nam agrees with what they're doing as well. So um, I just love all of this live music and pairing it with education and Nam pairing it with retail and manufacturing. And it's all one big ecosystem, which is what mm -hmm. I think we really want. Um, Absolutely. Something Something else I wanted to mention, too, is this full interview is posted in its entirety on NAM.org, um, as well as the video version of this episode of the podcast. So if you'd like to view any of that, just head over to NAMNAMM.org slash library, and you can see all of our content there. You know what, Mike, you really reminded me of kind of a core component of the NAM show that is also obviously a part of what Mary Jo is doing with her organization. And that is to get fi people fired up, you know, mm -hmm. get people excited about not just the content, but what they're learning and how they can apply it when they get back to their shop. And I think that, you know, for NAM, uh, I think of uh, Joe, Joe um, Mullins over there <laughs> out in the Boston area who has pictures hanging up uh, in his store of folks that he met at the NAM show. Mm -hmm. And so for years, he's not only motivated and energized by the people and friends that he has in the industry, but he's able to share that with people uh, who come into the store. And I, that's a good example of what I think Mary Jo is doing by pre presenting this music is that it's firing up these educators who might be for the longest time stuck in their own mold and saying, okay, this is what we do for elementary, you know, students, and this is what we do for secondary. But when you can get around other people who are being interactive and innovative in the material, you might be hearing things that you take away and apply to your students. And I think that's exactly what's happening with her organization. And my hat's off to her and all those who do that, because that's really what we need. We need to keep moving the bar forward. And uh, ideas are great to share because that helps other people learn in different ways. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. No, and that's, I mean, it's a great uh, platform for everyone to get together. And, you know, I'm, I can only imagine. I know how hard it is to be a teacher and like, just, I'm sure a little bit of that burnout after so many years and you kind of, you're like, this is how I teach it. This is how this works. And then you get to go into this conference and see all these other amazing educators and get re-inspired for what mm -hmm. you do and learn new things and take away 
new, you know, new techniques or, or new, uh, you know, ways of doing things. And so that's fantastic that it kind of gets to, you know, reinvigorate their passion all over again, possibly. Absolutely. And I think the element of jazz with improvisation Mm -hmm. is that you have your own voice and it's magic, you know, especially if you can share that with other people in the band that are expressing their own voice too. And I think that if we forget that element, we're all in big trouble. (laughs) And so I think also the complexity of jazz is something that you could never get your hand all the way around. So having other people's input as to how to do things or how to showcase or how to arrange something different for younger students, for example, I think is just the most important element that you can't read in a textbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so with that, we're going to listen to now our last little segment of Mary Jo's interview. And she just kind of uh, is going to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, how things have had to shift over the past year or so with uh, this little uh, COVID-19 thing, thing that we're dealing with, <laughs> and but also the positives that have come along with it. And uh, it's definitely some positives for her. So that's fantastic. Uh, so let's get right back into Mary Jo Papich's uh, interview. We were one of the first organizations, Dan, to pivot to webinars when the pandemic hit. You know, if I was teaching, I would have been, oh, Lord, how do I do this? How do I teach online? We were right there starting it we reached out and we didn't have just members only we let all um all the folks that wanted to attend our resources attend and um this helped it it it, are the the jazz Q program which sponsored again through her Lopert foundation literally um this year just in webinars alone we reached over thirty-seven thousand people that attended them so for us those are big numbers, you know, those are huge numbers. Um, and the jazz team makes it an all year program, not just totally conference centric. And um, there's more, and we're open to even doing more. Our membership runs this come forward to us and we will see if we can get things going. We, we, we want to, we want to be what they need. And um that in the end will help you guys sell instruments. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you touched on this a little bit, Mary Jo, but I kind of uh, want to circle back to uh, your perspective on the um, jazz artists and performers who have stepped up to really be a part of your organization and help. I'm so very eternally grateful that folks step up to help. Um, we, I think everybody knows this, we don't pay anyone to come to Jen. Again, unlike most conferences, we um, rely on them to volunteer and see the need. And everybody has to apply, even if it's an agent's, an agent for the, for the big name. We, and people come to, to be, to rub elbows with, those big names. And so uh, we are so very grateful um, that they say yes, they see the need. And of course, we have the great Sean Jones right now as our president. Sean is uh, literally a world-renowned trumpet player. And his heart is just as immense as his playing skills. 
his heart is his president's letters. You want to make sure they're worth joining just to read the president's letters. He he is amazing. He has a way with word, and uh, he was the English minor. I found out. Um, um, you know, Terrell Stafford, Christian McBride, uh, uh, Sharon Miracle, Jeff Coffin, um, uh, Grace Kelly, uh, Tia Fuller. Um, there's bigger notes, bigger names. I just. Um, we even have rock people come in sometimes, you know, Victor Wood and Nancy Bailey. We even have rock people when Kalo Chapman was president. He was good friends with the guys from Toto. So we had we had them in, you know, and we've had rock drummers in. And and honestly, I am not a purist. I'm not a jazz purist. I'm not a jazz snob. If it incorporates improvisation, we want them. And we can't afford to be um exclusive we just can't the jazz world cannot afford to be exclusive we must be inclusive we must understand um that it's a big world out there and 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 keep keeping genres separate you know the the, the last super bowl dan the last super bowl there was a a, a blend of a country singer and a r&b person uh, the names escape me right now. And of course the internet was full of, Oh, why are they doing it that way? And, 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 Oh, why are they ruining it? And well, if it's for, to sing along, maybe they did ruin it. However, uh, the more we can blend musical genres, um, the better off we'll be. That's, that's bringing in people that wouldn't listen to, I'm not a country buff, but by golly, he wasn't bad. I'll check him out now, you know? And, um, we just, it, it's, a, it's super important that we don't make ourselves extinct, you know? Well said. Yeah, that's really, really tr true. And I think an important message to people, you know, that we have to think about things like those boundaries that have existed that aren't really necessary. Well said. Um, another thing I was hoping to glean from you is just some of the anecdotes that you, anecdotal sort of support of what you guys are doing from the teachers. What have been some of the responses of um, your programs uh, out on, on the ground? Oh my gosh. Um, it's been great. The response from teachers has been great. I mean, there are teachers that say, um, Miss Orloff at, and Troy, Alabama says, we couldn't do this jazz festival if we didn't have a jazz to grant. We, we couldn't produce it. Um, um, Mari Mental Bell down in Florida does a jazz slam. And by slam, we mean science, language, arts, and math. And um, she's eternally grateful that we support her efforts. Um, uh, Louise Rogers and Mark Cross in New York City actually um, – go to a hospital, a kid's hospital, and perform uh, and with a, a Jazz to You grant. Um, they love it. They love the grants. They love the G Generations Jazz Festival that they can actually apply to be on the conference. Their name gets in the program. They get to work with a world-class artist, which I must mention, they literally um, donate their time to do that. And... Um, it is just so it's been great. The response is great. Um, after every conference, I get tons of letters of, of thank yous and, 
And, and thanks for, we try to listen and do what they need. Uh, when the, when COVID hit, uh, quickly we surveyed them to say, how can we help? And boom, we were there right away with providing the webinars they needed. And, um, and we try to support that with the Herb Opera funds too, because we called them and said, Hey, they said, we want to help these musicians that need help, uh, financially. So please, uh, you use it how you see fit. And we've been doing that. So um, our membership is great. And I think if you would, we've got to get you to one of these, Dan. And I have to tell you, uh, it's a big love fest. Okay. So everybody's happy. Everybody gets along. Um, it's a big family reunion and it's a real feel good, feel warm. Uh, it's a great, it's a great thing. It really is. Well, I would love to attend. I think that would be a fantastic opportunity for us to get some interviews with some of the folks that come and also uh, participate and help in any way we can to support um, uh, because everything you do is something that I'm 100% behind as well as Nam is. So uh, anything that we can ever do to help obviously is, is important. You know, um, one of my heroes and the guy I got to interview um, was Billy Taylor, who had an awful lot to do with, um, and I know he's near and dear to you. I, I would love to just get your thoughts about how, uh, how he touched you. Well, I was fortunate enough uh, when I was with the former organization, we would be in New York a lot, which we haven't done because it's very expensive, as you well know. Um, and we're succeeding it at it not going to New York and keeping the costs hopefully affordable for the average teacher that wants to come. Although we do in, you know, and we want fans as well and, and pros and industry. Um, I got to set mine several times, uh, various functions and pretty regularly. And um, he believed in education so strongly and he uh, was just such a genius playing and uh, kind, and yet cut to the chase when you visit with him. He, he was just a big inspiration, um, as was David Baker. David Baker, I knew even more uh, closely, and my family got to know him, and, and, uh, and he and Lida. And um, I remember sitting by him when he was president. Of the, I remember going to him when this was all happening with the downfall and what can we do, as I did all the past presidents. And I'm eternally grateful to all those past presidents of IJE who, um, who helped uh, pave the way for us to keep on going, quite honestly. And, um, and what we did learn from that, we learned what not to do as well as what to do. And that's everything from how to, you know, make up a, a board of uh, skill sets, people on the board that have the necessary skill sets, to producing conferences, to including education so prominently. Very, very well said. So um, another sort of a final thought I wanted to get from you is um, – what motivates you to keep running a mar this marathon at a sprinter's pace? There's got to be elements of this that are particularly meaningful and, and motivating for you. What would those be? You know, Dan, I, I don't know what keeps me. I, I'm, 
I feel my best when I'm productive. Okay. So I like doing, um, I like kids inspire me. And now that I'm retired, not in front of kids every day, uh, people inspire me. Uh, it's sisters. just and for sure. My sisters inspire me are right here and they inspire me. And, you know, they'll say, why are you so busy? I feel best when I'm busy and I, everybody can make a difference. And as I teach and work with kids, I want to show them that they can make a difference. And um, I'm also, I encourage kids to get involved in their community. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're a band director or a music teacher, you have a high profile job right there, right? Because your work isn't hidden in test scores. It's right there for the community to see every football game, every concert, every parade out in the community. And um, we are inspired to, to be active in community. And they are, they are active in community. Um, Currently now, since I moved back to Peoria, I, from the Chicago suburbs, I, I'm a president of the Arts Partners of Central Illinois. Very cool that it was a group I helped envision back in the 90s. And now I come back and I'm president of it. And it's an umbrella organization for all the nonprofits. And we're very active in the arts here uh, for not a huge town. But um, make a difference. We can all make a difference. And it's just vitally important for us to continue to make a difference by being kind to one another and by being positive. You think, did I, was I positive in every interaction I had today? No, we have to keep working on that, right? And um, life, I'm appreciative every day of life. And if I died tomorrow, if I died tomorrow, I can die happy because uh, life has been good. And, um, and I hope it's good for everybody that believes in music. Very, very well said. That's fantastic. You should be a spokeswoman for something. I don't know. Just an idea I had. Um, Mary Jo, thank you. I so am much. for Jen. <laughs> <laughs> of course. This is great. Thank you so very much for your time and for all you do. And my hope is that we'll uh, continue to connect with each other and uh, help each other along the way. Dan, we must meet in person and we must have a glass of wine. And I'm going to dig now more into more of the oral history project. Uh, I didn't get to say this, so include it somewhere, please. Um, the oral history project that you have started and that you continue to develop is just vitally important for chronic chronicling the the development of music education and music as a whole. I'm honored to be included in that. And um, may you continue to do it for many, many more years and keep going. And, and you have that energetic bunny happening in you too. So keep at it. We need you. We need leaders like Joe Lamond and Sean Jones and, and uh, the, the music world needs us. And, God bless everybody and keep wearing your masks. Well, that was such a fantastic episode and interview. Uh, I know I'm way more inspired now <laughs> to go <laughs> maybe learn some more new music or pick up my saxophone or do something. Uh, I just, her, gosh, her passion just comes through, like I said in the beginning, 
And when you see her, you're like, yep, I totally see it. You are very passionate and just like exudes out, you know, just kind of comes out of her. You can tell um, it, you know, we need all these, we need so many more marriages, I think in the world uh, for education, especially, and for music advocacy and all of that. Uh, she is definitely a gem or Jen, if you will. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice. You know, it's it's also awesome that she has a little shout out there of the oral history program. Thank you, Mary Jo. <laughs> Love the commercial. Uh, but it's our time to give her a commercial too. I think it's really neat to have this opportunity to share with other people the great work that she and her team is doing. Uh, she mentioned her team, and I think it's important um, to recognize there are a lot of different moving parts in that organization. And it's so neat to see them all sort of moving in the same direction with the same goals, with the same energy, and with the hope of getting together with their next conference for which I hope to attend. Um, that would be fantastic and a great opportunity for us to learn even more. And I think that's really what's uh, at the core of what she wants to accomplish. So yeah, you got that open invite. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so it's with on her, tape. <laughs> <laughs> so with her energy, I just would like to have my final thought be get involved. You know, I think so many times we're just like, oh, okay, well, there's little I can do if I don't go to a conference or, you know, I, I'm not sure I, I know that much about this. And it may not be um, this particular organization, but music advocacy has a lot of different organizations. Uh, the NAM Foundation is doing amazing things. Um, and I think that all of us have a love for music or we wouldn't be listening to this. And I hope that all of us are satisfied with being involved at the level that is comfortable. And if we're not, seek it out go and check out some organization that could use some advice or some help of some volunteers, some finances. Um, you know, getting involved is really, really important. And I, I think that Mary Jo would be proud that one of the takeaways from her story is that if she can do it, other people can do it too. And, um, and I'm very proud to know her. And I'm very glad that we have the opportunity to tell more people about the great things she and her team are doing. Yeah, definitely. I just want to echo what you're saying, Dan, and what Ashley brought up earlier in the podcast, which is um, you can get involved and you just might not even know what's out there. Like you might think like, oh, you know, I've been doing it the same way for so many years and I'm used to it and it seems to be working. And But you never know, there might be other techniques or other people. There might be people that follow the same kind of things that you do, but might change a little, you know, you never know. And even if it doesn't ultimately lead to anything, you're still going to meet lots of great people. You're going to improve on whatever it is that you're doing and you're going to hear great music. So I think that is just the perfect note to end this podcast episode on. Thank you everybody for listening and watching. If you viewed it on nam.org, we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Music History Project. This has been Mike Mullins, Dan Del Fiorentino, and Ashley Allison. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us some feedback. If you have recommendations for future episodes, just shoot us an email at library at nam.org.